Does this scenario sound familiar? A company wants to grow fast. Sales and marketing build the momentum and get the orders, but the internal infrastructure isn't quite ready. Over time, some product quality issues pop up, which leads to rework. Employees start to get frustrated and burned out. Customers become dissatisfied. The best workers start looking for somewhere else to go, and on and on. But this scenario need not happen. Today, we'll hear from a former high-tech executive who today helps companies understand and implement what it takes to grow, while keeping everyone on the inside sane. It's Karen Walker on the Manage Your Message podcast. Welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast, where professionals come for ideas and inspiration to grow. By talking about their businesses more effectively and getting lots of other people to do the same. Here is your host, consultant, professional speaker, and author, Jim Carr. Come on in and welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast. I'm Jim Carr. I help professionals and entire organizations to get the most out of their everyday business conversations, the ones that generate by far the most word of mouth. That means more growth and revenue, customer engagement, employee engagement, and your brand and reputation. On this program, we discuss three foundational components for managing your message. One, the message itself, meaning the words, stories, and evidence you want your marketplace to know about. Two, your messengers, the network of people who can help you share that message. And three, management habits that will shape your culture and turn those improvements into an everyday business advantage. My new book is launching this fall from Career Press. It's titled, The Science of Customer Connections, Manage Your Message to Grow Your Business. I'll keep you posted about that, and we'll have samples and bonus content available soon. Simply put, it's much easier to grow your business when you are a message manager. Today's guest knows a lot about growth and how to manage it. Karen Walker was one of the first employees at Compaq Computers, which at the time was the fastest growing company in U.S. history. Compaq went from zero revenue to more than $110 million in the first year. She had a 14-year career at Compaq when she decided it was time to move on while the company's revenue was, I think, $15 billion at the time. Karen is now an executive coach, consultant, speaker, and author. She advises senior leaders on how best to do the internal work that ultimately can support external growth. Her new book is titled, No Dumbing Down a no-nonsense guide for CEOs on organization growth. Given our focus in the podcast on using messaging and management habits to grow, it only made sense to reach out to Karen for some expert guidance. Karen Walker, welcome to our messaging show. So happy to be here, Jim. Thanks. Thank you. Let's set the uh, stage just a bit and talk about some very formative experiences that you have had that led you to today. Now, as I understand the story, Karen, in your mid-20s, You were a fresh-faced engineer working for Texas Instruments, which was a big deal at the time, getting promoted every six months or so, and then you noticed some things that prompted you to look elsewhere. And then years later, you had been very successful at Compaq, but then again, noticed some things that prompted you to make a professional change. So what was it that you were seeing in those instances when the companies seemingly were growing so smartly? 
Yeah, well, they were two very different things. So it's an interesting question for you to ask. This is really good. The first, if we think about my time at Texas Instruments, so TI at the time was a Fortune 100 company. It was, I had interned there when I was in college. I mean, I went to there right when I got out of school. So it was like my only real job. As you said, you know, I was doing really well there by Texas Instruments standards, and I think by most. But I started noticing a few people leaving who were people I respected and thought a lot of and enjoyed working with. And then a few more people left and then a few more people left. And, you know, this was a big company, so it's not like there were droves of people heading out, but there were people that I was interested enough in and thought enough of that I was curious to find out why they were leaving. And the company was a startup down the street, but this was in the early 80s when I was in my early 20s. And it wasn't so common then as it is now to have a startup down the street. But anyway, I investigated. I called and said, hey, what's going on down there? What are you guys doing? And they said, oh, come over and talk with us. And so I did. And as you mentioned in your introduction, we didn't have any revenue yet. They actually hadn't even announced a product yet. And because of a lawsuit between TI and the new startup, they couldn't even tell me what the new product was going to be. And I had a guess about that, and it turned out I was wrong. <laughs> but I basically... <laughs> just say, hey, Karen, it's going to be great. <laughs> right. I thought they were making a hard drive because that's the division that they came out of. But they, of course, were doing something very different. But I went to work there based on the people that were there and my trust and belief in them as people that I wanted to work with and people that would be successful. And also, I thought, you know, at that age, I don't have a lot to lose. If I need to go back to a big company, you know, maybe I will have lost a little time and a little traction, but I had, had faith enough in myself that I could make that up. So other than my mother thinking I was completely crazy for <laughs> leaving this very stable job, it wasn't too much of a leap. But that's what prompted me to make the call and leave TI to start with. Now, Compaq, a very different story. Compaq, of course, I, got, I was there on the ground floor. I was there for the big run-up right? The zero to 111 million the first year, the fastest to a billion in its time. And uh, she said 15 billion and going from 104 employees, which was my number to 17,000 employees by the time I left. So I wasn't just there for like the big bang at the start. I was there for a lot of sort of the company time and it was all really good. I mean, I, we can talk more about those experiences, but it was a terrific place to work and I am ever grateful to have had those experiences. And after 14 years, it was a big company. Our founder had departed a few years earlier, sort of unceremoniously fired by the board one day. And the cause for that was a difference in vision for the organization. And the organization's new vision really had to do with just getting bigger. And that wasn't a vision that I was as bought into as I was Compaq's original vision, which was a, be a good place to work, and B, we had this amazing first product, which was uh, the first, port, quote, portable, really transportable computer that businesses could use. It was IBM compatible, which mattered at the time. And so what happened when Compact got to be so big and with the new management leadership, senior leadership in place was just a different focus. And of course, the other thing I say is that when you've got 17,000 employees, you attract a different kind of employee than you do when you have 100. When you're a $15 billion company, you attract a different kind of employee than you do when you have no revenue. 
And it's not that those people are bad. They just have different motivations in the most part for coming to work at these companies. They're looking for different things. They're looking for stability, perhaps, or they want to be able to do good work, but surrounded by more infrastructure and more process. And I could see that my job wasn't going to get any different at that point. It was just going to keep getting bigger. And although I loved my job and my team now, of I don't know, I had 350 employees and thousands of contractors and consultants all over the world as VP for the global physical infrastructure, I just didn't want to do that the rest of my life. And so I was fortunate enough that I had some options that I could consider as well as some options. And I left, gave, gave some notice, left and took some time off to figure out what I wanted to do next. So two very different reasons for leaving those companies. By the way, Karen, I remember those, a kind of quote unquote portable mm-hmm. computers at the time. I think we called them luggable. Luggable, yeah. Luggables at the time. So you came from having these experiences. There were both companies that were in high tech. They were higher technology products, well-engineered, but different points in their growth cycles and different reasons why you felt like you had done what you wanted to do. And I'm just curious about with your work today, you do a lot of work with high-tech firms, fast-growing firms, a lot of companies that people would recognize. Do you see some common threads in where they find places where they either get stuck in growth or, as it sounds like happens maybe even more often, they're growing, they're just driving themselves crazy because they don't have maybe the infrastructure or the processes or the habits on the inside? Yeah, so my work really over the last couple of decades has been primarily with high-tech firms in, in hyper-growth situations, not exclusively. I've worked with a university, I've worked with a marketing firm, different kinds of companies, but primarily with tech companies because I'm really interested in how to make hyper-growth companies keep growing, how to support that. And tech tends to be the place where those things are happening today. And so I think the reason for that focus is that Once companies have a product market fit, because that's not my specialty, right? It's once they get that product market fit and they realize we have opportunity here and our sales are outpacing our ability to support the sales, i.e. to really deliver on the promise we've made our customers, because that's what a sale is. But when you can't deliver on that anymore, you begin to see sort of cracks in that infrastructure. That's when I think these strategies that I actually laid out in my in my new book, No Dumbing Down, sort of come to the fore. In fact, I got a call recently from a, a couple of years ago from a CEO I hadn't worked with, but he was a first-time CEO and, and knew people that we had in common. And he said, we're growing triple digits now for the last two years. He said, my problem is I don't know what to do to keep up with that. I don't know how many people I should have. I don't know what kind of people. I'm not sure what they should be doing. I don't know what I should be doing, or more importantly, what I should not be doing with my time as CEO and how to lead these people. And so that's, I would say, the common situation that many of my clients and most hyper-growth companies find themselves in is there are too many options. And as a result, you tend to get out of alignment with each other. So the teams are out of alignment with each other. The behaviors and your intentions tend to get out of alignment. Your processes, you can get be over-processed or under-processed, depending on the situation that you're in. And sometimes your rewards get out of alignment. You're rewarding behaviors that won't take you where you want to go. So it's sort of these internal strategies, I think, that are situations that companies that are in fast growth mode have in common. 
Well, Karen, let's talk about those five internal strategies that you detail in the book, and then we can come around a little bit, see how these connect together, what leaders can do about that. And maybe a little later on, talk as well about how they may, some of these principles may apply beyond just the hyper growth companies as well. So you have five of them. So no dumbing down, double back, play bumper cars, become a utility and learn to levitate. By the way, very provocative titles, very good stuff here. So let's take them one at a time. And the first one is as the title of your book, No Dumbing Down. So what does that mean in real life and in real business with the companies that you deal with? Hmm. So No Dumbing Down is, is all about how teamwork as usual hurts the organization and then what to do about it. And teamwork as usual is one of those things that I think almost everyone has experienced it typically kicks off at some sort of an all-hands meeting. A facilitator will lead the group or the organization, and you talk about what it's like to work well together. You might even do some physical activities about that. You might get T-shirts and hats and mugs, and then the boss will enthusiastically call for everybody to go forth and work as one. And that's not a bad thing, right? People leave those meetings, and they're thinking, maybe this time we really can get things done together and differently and better and at first, people really try, but at first, teamwork can seem to improve, right? You begin to see sort of why you wanted to work as a team in the first place. But then these old, unproductive patterns reemerge. Office politics start to rear their ugly heads, or conflicts come up and you don't know how to solve them, or you see that there are misaligned priorities or goals and you don't know what to do about it. And eventually, and this is the worst part, is that high performers in your organization get fed up with that and they start to see the team as a tar pit because they do not want to dumb down. And what we know is that a team can only perform at the level of its lowest performing member. And if you have one person on the team who's not able to sort of rise to the, the level of the others, sometimes the team can carry them for a while, but they won't do it for long. And if you have more than one person, it's you know, sort of like a weak link in a chain, right? The chain can't hold. And if your high performers start to shy away from teams and shy away from working collaboratively with others, they realize they can't work to their potential and eventually they'll head for the doors. And that's a problem for any organization, but certainly for one that's trying to grow. One of the examples I use is I took up the sport of rowing recently and I I went into it, which I love, by the way, but I went into it thinking that, oh, this is all about, you know, arms and back, and I'm going to have really buff arms and back from doing this. <laughs> and it is true that you need your arms and your back to do this, but rowing is a sport that is all about your legs because you can take off really fast, right, with your arms and your back, but it's your legs, I think, that carry you through. And if you don't have all those parts working together, eventually the boat will flounder. That's what happens with teams. I had a company leader say something, and this may be close to what you were just outlining there, Karen, but he was talking about, from his standpoint, A, B, and C players. Mm -hmm. In his view, you're going to have your A players. Those are the people that you need. You're going to be some B players, for sure, who are solid, and they're going to be a lot of the core of execution as well. But he said, from his view, Listen, the key for us, when I look at the A players, the people who are really important to me that I want to keep in and focused and motivated and who have the most opportunities to go elsewhere, 
it's how we treat the C players or what the A players tend to notice the most. After a while, they simply won't tolerate it. Mm -hmm. Is that a bit of what you're getting at when you talk about no dumbing down? Oh, I completely agree. The A players do not want to play at a C level. If you have C players, they either have to, in order to get the thing done that you formed the teams to start with, you either have to play at the level of the C player or you have to carry them or the thing doesn't get done. So it stands in the way of achievement. I will say, I think that B players, if you're in a role where what you need is a solid core performance, awesome, right? All roles don't require sort of high performing, high driving people in them, which is sort of how we think of as, quote, A players. But I would say people that would typically be thought of as B players, if they're in a role that needs solid core performance, you might think about those people as A players for that role as well. But anyway, I agree with your boss in terms of thinking about if you allow C performance to go on, everybody else notices it and they know that that's a standard that's okay with you. And the one thing that CEOs most often tell me when I say, what would you do different in your career looking back, the most common answer I get is, I would have let people go sooner. Now, it doesn't mean they've gotten harder or callous or any of that. It means that they recognize the impact on the organization and the effort it took to carry people who weren't good fits for the role. So absolutely try to develop people if they're developable, right? Give them opportunity for that if you have time to develop in role. And if not, then, you know, either look for another spot where they're better suited in the organization or you do have to let them go. Great point. The second internal strategy that you talk about in the book, you call double back. What does double back mean? Oh, so this is thinking about, we typically think the startup to grown up is a line, right? A one-way progression. We want to move from a startup company to a grown-up company. But in fact, I believe that the most successful companies are those that are a good blend of startup and grown-up, i.e. it's actually a continuum from startup to grown-up, and that what you really want to do is pick the place on that continuum that is appropriate for the situation in front of you. Big companies, for example, who are, quote, grown-up companies, they tend to be have a lot of process in place, and that process is really useful for things that need to have process around them and are replicable and scalable, but it is not useful in areas where you need more startup behavior. You could even think about this in terms of M&A activity, right? So many large companies acquire small companies, see that all the time. And then as my brother, who's a technology development director said, he said, we don't have an M&A department, we have an M&D department. I said, okay, tell me what M&D stands for. And he said, it's not mergers and acquisitions. And he said, it's merge and destroy. We acquire <laughs> these amazing companies. And then we set about systematically destroying all the value that we just bought. And we do that because we smother them with process. Instead of saying, here's a situation where more startup behaviors should be encouraged and rewarded because that's part of the value we bought. We smother them with process. And so to think about sort of whether you should be seat of the pants or standard operating procedure and what the right place on that continuum is for the situation that's in front of you. The third one, we'll come back to double back because there's some really interesting kernels uh, in there as well, Karen. You also talk about playing bumper cars, which does not sound like some sort of smooth process here. That sounds messy by design. It is messy by design, but it's also messy by design because reality is messy by design. 
You know, I look at these growth forecasts the companies put into place and they're, they're straight lines and it never happens that way, right? You either grow faster or slower or in fits and starts. It's never just a solid, smooth trajectory that you laid out to your board, you know, at the beginning of the year or for your five-year forecast. And so the whole idea about bumper cars is if you think about how bumper cars works, you get into your car and you're moving around and you're sort of, you're hit often from angles that you cannot see from your blind spots. And that sends you careening off in a direction that you weren't expecting. But the way you stay in the game is because you have a guardrail that keeps you in the game. And what I mean by playing bumper cars with business is, you know, we get into our bumper car every day at work and we set off in a direction. But when we're hit by something unexpected, by something that comes out of us out of our blind spot, we either grow faster than we expected or we don't grow as quickly as expected. What are those guardrails that you have put in place in your business so that you know what to do when you hit that point? So often when we grow not as fast as we had hoped, well, we know what to do then, right? We have to let people go, or we have to reduce our space, or we reduce our inventory. We find ways to cut back. But when we grow faster than expected, we often don't have anything in place to deal with that. And it's at that point you know, that you have to decide where is it that our infrastructure cannot keep up with our sales, and what are we going to do at that point? And I think that's the key underlying linchpin for playing bumper cars is having a plan there. Do you find that to that point, Karen, that oftentimes when management's being reactive, that they can make those cycles more extreme? So you start growing quickly as, oh my, we have to throw some resources and things at it. And then when things slow down or they're misaligned and you have quality issues or market issues, and then you have built in all of these costs so you have to go into slash mode, which makes things worse. I can imagine that you can get yourself, without the guardrails, you can get yourself into a bad way of thinking. Yeah, it's the corporate uh, equivalent of yo-yo dieting, right? Yeah. <laughs> you, go, you go way down, and then you go way up, and then you go way down. And that's hard on everybody. It's hard on you. It's hard on your investors. It's hard on your employees. And it is really hard on your customers. And so, yeah, finding a way to smooth that out, that's a really good term, Jim. So internal strategy number four and this one does not sound exciting when you talk about hyper growth companies, but you say become a utility, which sounds very stable to the point of boring. When you say become a utility, what are you thinking there? Yeah, we do think about utilities as boring, right? They're like boring investments, <laughs> they're boring organizations. That's because they're stable. And so when I say you need to become a utility, I mean you need to find the parts of your organization that can be run like a utility, right? So what is it in your organization that is replicable and that you can replicate it in a way to still allow it to scale, but you want it to become efficient, still with some flexibility, and that you put these processes in place with the idea that you don't have to spend time on them anymore, or at least small amounts of time. And organizations typically will do this with finance and administration is often the first place where that goes, because there are rules that govern those two parts of the organization, tactical HR and finance. And so it's pretty easy, right, to turn those into utilities. But to think about other parts of the organization, you know, either in sales and marketing and development, in almost any part, what is it that gets done over and over again that is almost the same that you could put a process in place to handle 
with a mechanism for making exception as exception needs to happen. I guess you can't solve an equation that's all variables and no constant, right? Well <laughs> said. Yeah, right. The fifth and final internal strategy you mentioned in the book, you call it learn to levitate. Okay. So we've gone from stability to levitating here. What's your thought on that? Yeah. So learning to levitate is all about seeing the big picture, right? Which at its core, I think for most leaders and organizations is about creating time to think. And so levitating is about getting above it all and seeing in the distant and looking at what's coming and we tend to spend our days sort of running from meeting to meeting. At least the people I know that I work with do this, and I did a lot when I was working in the corporate world. We're essentially playing a game of corporate whack-a-mole. I don't know if you remember the whack-a-mole game from, I don't know when it was, 70s or 80s or something, but it was a board game, and sometimes you can see it in an arcade, but it's a game board just full of holes, and you had a big rubber mallet, and the whack-a-mole part was that moles, literally, these moles would jump up from different holes at random intervals, random holes, and your job was to hit the mole on the head and force it back in the hole, and then another mole would pop up from a different hole and you would hit it on the head. And the way that you won was that you hit the most moles on the head and you got them back in their hole. And it's a lot like the way that we solve problems today. We go from meeting to meeting, day after day, just solving whatever the most urgent problem is, whatever happens to be in front of us, i.e. the mole that has popped up. And so many people tell me, you know, I'm so busy, I can only get my work done nights and weekends. And I think that's really sad because while solving problems is definitely a big part of everybody's job, it's not the only thing. And the more senior you are in the organization, the less you should be solving problems today and the more you should be spending time to think. And that can be a really difficult lesson for people to learn, in part because we tend to get rewarded for solving problems. But if you're not making time to think, you may not be solving the right problems. And if so, you won't be doing your job or your organization the way that you should be. Karen, I have a little different type of question here. But as you were going through your different internal strategies, and as we mentioned earlier, you talked about you tend to work with higher growth companies and helping get their internal pieces in line with the growth. You also said you'd worked with university and and a few organizations that aren't quite in hyper growth mode. And as you were going through these strategies, I think I see a number of areas here where companies that are, as you say, more grown up than startup, maybe have put processes or habits or reactivity in the way. The question is, for more mature companies or those whose growth has flattened out a little bit, are there some lessons in here that maybe they can help restart and rekindle that growth? Mm, Yes, absolutely. I mean, if we think about teamwork as usual, we tend to see that more in grown-up companies, right? And so how do you change that environment so that dumbing down is not allowed in the organization. And it has to start with the senior team, right? If the senior team allows dumbing down, particularly within the senior team itself, but on any of their teams, it's like a virus, right? It's it's spread through the rest of the organization and you won't be able to do anything about it unless you start at the top. Well, if I think about the sort of startup to grown-up continuum or the standard operating procedure and seat of the pants, Again, big companies tend to be on one end of that continuum, and they would do well to consciously start to reward other kinds of behaviors to allow them to be more flexible. And playing bumper cars, right, is about how to deal with things you're not expecting, 
even for big companies. In fact, you might even say especially for big companies because they're often not expecting it. When market shifts happen, they're not prepared for that. They don't know what to do when they get hit from a blind spot or an area that they weren't expecting. Perhaps these days, most commonly as technology changes and forces larger, older companies to change. Interesting stuff. But Karen, before we wrap up, and by the way, message manager listeners, Karen Walker, very good person to follow on LinkedIn. You do a lot of posts and sharing some insights and sharing things and quotes as you go along. And I noticed one that you did. You have some tips for business leaders individually, people who find themselves really working hard, trying to either get in growth mode or they're in growth mode and they're trying to to hang on tight. One of your is either a blog post or a LinkedIn post, maybe both. You mentioned a particular quote that you said uh, is very meaningful to you. It's from Mauro Lindbergh. The quote is, one cannot collect all the beautiful shells on the beach. So what is it about that quote that is resonant with you from your experience, but also one that you think is really important to pass along? Oh, Jim, thank you for calling that particular one out. Yeah, so Anne Mauro Lindbergh, one cannot collect all the beautiful shells on the beach. So the reason that resonates with me is I am a problem solver at heart. And what I realized is I gather information constantly. I read incessantly. I, I spend a lot of time gathering information so that when I go into an office and the door closes and I'm coaching someone and they ask me something, I have a lot of different things I can pull from, right, to help solve that problem. But what I do is I like to collect a lot of shells on the beach and it is good until it's overdone. It's that whole any strength overdone is a weakness because it's too easy, particularly these days, to get distracted by shiny new objects. And you have to put some things down to pick some others up in order, I think, to be successful and effective with our jobs today. And so it's about sort of either not getting distracted by new beautiful shells on the beach or recognizing that the shells you currently have in your hand are not the right ones for today, although they may have been for yesterday or for last year, and not doing some things so that you have the time and space to do some others. Very good advice. And again, thanks for passing that along. So Karen, where can our listeners follow you apart from LinkedIn for sure, but also just learn more about what you're doing and be able to get that book? Great. Well, thank you for the shout out about LinkedIn. On all the social media sites, uh, I am simply Karen Walker US. My website is karenwalker.us. And the book, No Dumbing Down, um, you can get either through my website or it's available on all of the standard places where you might order a book online today or just go to nodumbingdown.com. And we will have those links in our show description. You know, the thing, Karen, with a name like Karen Walker, people already know how to spell it. They can visualize it. It's not like car, K-A-R-R-H. You you know, you you have something that uh, people can have in their heads no matter where they're listening to the podcast. But we'll, again, have all of those links. Karen, thank you very much for joining us here on the podcast. It's been terrific. Thanks so much. You're an excellent interviewer. I enjoyed it. My thanks to Karen Walker for joining us on the Manager Message podcast. I was just thinking about some takeaways, recommendations from this particular episode, and I think it really comes down to that not dumbing down your growth strategy on the inside. It's not just about having the kickoff meeting and the t-shirts as she was talking about. Everyone, whether they're considered customer-facing or not, 
And that's a false dichotomy, by the way. Everyone at some level is customer facing and everyone needs to understand the growth strategy and their role in it. So perhaps a challenge for this week is to ask a few people in your organization about just that, the growth strategy. How do they verbalize it? What's the shorthand? What do they see as their role in it? And you see what level of consistency that you're hearing back. I'm very pleased that you joined us here on the podcast, whether you're a returning message manager or this is your first time in. We continue to build momentum, and that's because many of you have been recommending us to friends and colleagues. Thank you. Thank you for leaving those five-star ratings. If you haven't yet done so, please take just a few seconds to tap subscribe and offer a five-star rating and review. That helps the robots let other professionals know about this podcast and more people can get value from it. There's another free business messaging resource available to you, one that you can read, the Message Manager Memo. It comes to your email inbox each week, a brief read with something you can put to work right away. You can sign up on my website, jimcarr.com. That's J-I-M-K-A-R-R-H. And while you're there, you probably know of a professional association or company full of people looking for ways to improve their professional conversations and to grow the business. On my website, you'll see a speaking page as well as a related page just for event professionals, those very hardworking and often stressed out colleagues who need to find speakers and other ideas for making in-person events memorable and valuable. You can email me directly at jim at jimcar.com. We could set up a time to talk by phone if you like. My direct number is also on the website. Until next time, message managers, thanks for joining the conversation. Thanks for joining us on the Manage Your Message podcast with Jim Carr. You'll find show notes and other resources at managermessagepodcast.com and jimcar.com. Please help us serve you and other message managers by subscribing to, rating, and reviewing this podcast. And connect with Jim on LinkedIn and on Twitter at Jim Carr. Until next time, we hope your business message is shared well and often.